Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. The voters of Cook County, Fran, have the opportunity to say enough is enough, for goodness sake. I mean, when are we going to stand up and say we deserve better representation? Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman. With us today is another one of the Democratic candidates for state's attorney, Donna Moore. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'd like to start by telling our audience that state's attorney Kim Fox was supposed to be here this morning and she was confirmed to be here and canceled late last night. Uh, I've never quite been stood up on a date that way, but I think we all know why. Uh, The Jesse Smollett case, uh, the indictment that came down from special prosecutor Dan Webb. Yes. Were you surprised by that? Well, I think, look, we all knew that Dan Webb was appointed to investigate two issues. One, should um, Smollett be recharged into um, the activities within the state's attorney's office and the state's attorney herself? Obviously, we didn't know the timing. Um, I had advocated that hopefully the timing on uh, the special prosecutor's report would be before March 17th, because I think the voters have a right to know the answers before they go to the polls. So yes, you're always surprised on a Tuesday afternoon when it happens, but, um, but he has done his investigation and, you know, decided to come out with it when he did um, and decided to come out obviously before the, the primary. And what he said was that, Kim Fox justified this by saying that other cases had been similarly handled. But Mm -hmm. when he challenged her for the evidence of that, the state's attorney's office could not provide it. That's right. And there were some, I forget if they were emails or or texts that came out in the course of what was leaked over the past year in the newspapers. And there was an email that went out internally or was reported that asked for similar cases and none could be found. So uh, the fact that Dan Webb put that in his statement, I think is very significant. What does it say about her handling of this case and how she's run that office in general? To me, it says a couple of things. The first one is, is what we as the public and the voting public have always wanted to know was what changed in the 18 days from the day of indictment to the day the charges were dismissed. And this was before a special prosecutor was appointed. The state's attorney could have easily gotten up held a press conference because it was a high profile case and said, here's why I'm dropping the charges. 
But that never happened. And since a special prosecutor has been appointed, she's hidden behind that to say she's not allowed to talk about it. So the transparency issue on this case is very, very troubling. Secondly, Dan Webb found that there was a basis to recharge in a six count indictment, which leads one to believe that then there were issues that affected the state's attorney in dismissing the case. And those issues we know again from what has been leaked are that political and celebrity figures contacted Ms. Fox and in my mind had an influence on the decision to dismiss the case. And so the troubling part is that we appear to have two justice systems, a justice system for the rich, famous, and politically connected, and a justice system for all the rest of us. So this all-star team of political and celebrity people who contacted her. We know of Tina Chen, Tina Chen, who served as chief of staff to Michelle Obama in the White House. Uh, Were there others? Do you believe there were others? If so, who do you think they were? Well, that's part of, I think, the second part of what Mr. Webb is looking into. Um, He obviously has subpoena authority. He has the ability to collect the documents, the texts, the emails. So I'm going to leave who else was there. What you know, it's kind of like that age old conspiracy question. Did Tina Chen act alone or were there others? And I think we need to understand that to get a full picture of just how the influence was done, what motivated Ms. Chen to call or to text, I think it was, and call um, our state's attorney. Why did the state's attorney take the call? What was discussed? Were there any promises made? Um, Those are all things that I think the second part of his investigation is going to get to. But the fact that the special prosecutor found reason and evidence to indict Jussie Smollett leads to the conclusion that there was wrongdoing in the state's attorney's office by the state's attorney. What do you think they did wrong here? I mean, she's tried to basically kiss it off by saying, I own, I own the fact that we didn't handle this transparently, which if I hear that word one more time, I think I'll throw up. But, you know, this, this issue of transparency is really not the only issue here, is it? There, there were a lot of ethical breaches aside from transparency. In a similar case where you uh, don't believe that you're dealing with an individual who will be sentenced to prison time, uh, there are all sorts of deferred prosecution programs that you can do. But the way you would do them is that you would have somebody come to court. You wouldn't advance the case in secret without anybody knowing, without the police knowing, if a victim knowing. And you would say, admit you did something wrong and plead guilty. We're going to suspend, uh, defer any kind of conviction. And if during the course of a year you do your community service, which to me would have been going into schools and talking about why lying about a hate crime is a bad thing, pay restitution, then after that is completed, the conviction goes away, if you will. So we would have ended up in the same place. We just would have done it the right way under the law. No special treatment, just the same treatment that others 
may get, because we know nobody else has gotten it, may get in that situation. And again, if anyone's been hiding under a rock and doesn't know who Jesse Smollett is, he's the guy from Empire, an actor who staged allegedly a hate crime against himself and then was found by the Chicago police to have paid these two brothers uh, who he had used, I guess, as trainers or whatever uh, to stage this hate crime for whatever reason, maybe to enhance his profile, to get more money, to stay on Empire, whatever it is that he wanted to do. Um, and the police found that he had staged this hate crime. And this was a very insidious case because it really gave Chicago a terrible black eye. I mean, where do we go to get our reputation back? Well, a couple of things. You know, uh, in our meetings, um, our state's attorney likes to say that we're a national example. Not really. We're a national laughing stock. We're the butt of every joke. Anywhere I go, when people hear I'm from Chicago, they make jokes about it, uh, about that case and how it was handled and that Chicago is nothing but pay to play political connections and it will never change. And I think this is the race to change it. I think the voters are sick and tired of two justice systems, of politically connected people getting things that none of the rest of us can get, of money having influence over a justice system. The top prosecutor should be about fairness and justice, not about money and politics. So where do we go? We need to elect an independent prosecutor, one that's not connected to a political machine or a billionaire's ATM machine. And uh, and one who, by the way, has actually been in the felony trial courtrooms and tried many, many felony juries and, and done the things which I'm the only candidate that has and has done the things that you need to ask your assistants to do. But but the other troubling aspect of this case is the chilling effect it has on future reporting of hate crimes against any minority community. And that's really an issue because, you know, when you're trying a rape case and there's a false accusation, it has a chilling effect on victims coming forward or a hate crime case, witnesses coming forward. And that's really a huge disservice that this case has done to our city and our county. And we have to work hard and we have to educate both law enforcement and all of our communities so we can actually move forward and make sure hate crimes are being reported. Well, Kim Fox recused herself from the case when she should have recused the office, right? Once you correct. step aside, the office should get out of the way altogether, right? That's correct. This case should have been referred to the attorney general's office for investigation and potential prosecution. And her reaction to the indictment was most strange. She blamed Dan Webb and she accused him or her campaign did of being James Comey-like in the comparison to the former FBI director in his investigation of Hillary Clinton's emails before the 2016 presidential campaign. Do you... If you are confident about winning and about your behavior, do mm -hmm. you blame the special prosecutor in the middle of the special prosecutor's <laughs> investigation? No. Listen, Ms. Fox asked for a special prosecutor, was very complimentary when Mr. Webb uh, got appointed, uh, in part because Mr. Webb contributed to her campaign last time. A thousand gave, dollars. Gave her a thousand dollars. Not a lot of money. And... Um, 
uh, to me, a lot of money. Particularly for Bill and, Conway, not a lot of money. Well, that's true. Um, <laughs> you know, she, she said she would fully cooperate. And, uh, and now what we find is uh, she's not fully cooperating. In fact, she's lawyered up. She's hired a personal lawyer. I get that. She hired a lawyer at county expense to represent the office of the state's attorney. Now, I am mystified by that. I don't understand it. The office isn't being charged with anything. Um, And I don't understand how you hire a law firm at above county rates. Um, what the approval process was, don't think it happened. So I have a real question about this law firm that is being hired to represent the office. But had, why do you think that happened? Well, you know, the, what the the firm has said publicly is they're trying to determine which documents Mr. Webb gets and which documents he doesn't get. So again, it goes back to the state's attorney's own statements. We're going to fully cooperate and give them all the documents that they need. There's 700 lawyers in the state's attorney's office. There are uh, four or 500 in the attorney general's office who handle matters for the state's attorney if they need, quote unquote, outside counsel. It seems to me we have enough lawyers that we're paying for as taxpayers without having to hire an outside law firm. And the fact that she did at our expense says what to you? It says to me that there's a whole lot of transparency that isn't happening. It says to me that the uh, that the state's attorney has something to hide. She hasn't been transparent from the get-go. You know, if if Mr. Webb had come out with a different finding, we would have heard applause from her. So the fact is you don't get it both ways. You know, you have to you have to be able to say whatever he says, I, I, I'm going to abide by because he's the special prosecutor, but she's playing politics. So you think she ought to resign immediately. I mean, is that just a political stunt on your part? Why should she resign immediately? Look, I think any time... The person in office, and we, we could extrapolate that, but anytime the, the state's attorney is more the focus of everyday reporting, then is the importance of her job, which is to represent and be the lawyer for the people of Cook County, to represent the county in civil cases, to prosecute criminal cases. That takes a lot of work day in and day out. Ms. Fox is all focused on her own issues right now. And I think they have become the overarching problem for the state's attorney's office. And she ought to resign deal with those issues, but let the people of Cook County have a lawyer that is focused on representing them. Temporarily or just uh, put the office until this is over? No, I think she just ought to resign. She has shown she doesn't run a transparent, ethical, fair office for the people of Cook County. And that I think requires that she resign. If in fact there is a finding on the second part of the question that Mr. Webb is looking into, you know, potentially there's a, there's a charge of official misconduct. And as a law enforcement officer, uh, it requires that not only if you're found guilty, that you must resign your office. You're convicted of a class three felony. So I think well, she's Fox, certainly not going to be convicted of anything by the time the election rolls around no, in five but, weeks. But it's, but You know, the voters of Cook County, Fran, have the opportunity to say 
enough is enough for goodness sake. I mean, when are we going to stand up and say, we deserve better representation. We pay a lot of money in taxes. We pay our state's attorney a good salary. When are we going to get fair, independent, honest representation? You can still believe in restorative justice. You can still hold people accountable for crime, but we need to have somebody that is willing to actually be our lawyer. And we don't have one right now. I think what's infuriating to people, and tell me if I'm wrong, is that not that that we wouldn't have ended up in the same place here, but the guy strolls out of court after a hearing that nobody knew was going to happen and says he didn't do anything and he's the victim. And if she had negotiated with him to say, I'm sorry, to do community service, to finally admit what we all thought we knew immediately when he told that bizarre story about having a noose placed around his neck, then we wouldn't be so infuriated by this. But we wouldn't Is be, that the reason? We wouldn't be where we are if because what you have just described would have been to handle the case properly, as we talked about earlier. There, there was a way to deal with what happened and do it properly and within the confines of the law and be fully transparent. To me, the greatest benefit after having admitted guilt would have been for Mr. Smollett to go and talk about false reporting of hate crimes and what that does. Go to our schools where we have uh, hate crime issues, our our local universities where there are hate crime issues. That would have been a way to deal with the case fairly and also provide a benefit to the community. But that wasn't done. And so you have to ask yourself, why not? And what were the influences? Now, the counter argument is he couldn't have possibly admitted that without also opening himself up to the possibility of mail fraud because of the letter that was sent prior. And so for fear of being charged with a federal crime of mail fraud, maybe he just was never going to plead guilty. And so she got the best deal she could for the taxpayers. No, the best deal if he wasn't going to plead guilty would have been to try the case. Yeah. They, they so had, that was the alternative and that's it, the one that should have been chosen. Absolutely. They and in fact, the first assistant and Miss Fox admitted when they indicted the case that they had the evidence for what was then a 16 count indictment. Try the case. Simple as that. Now, why should the voters make this a deciding factor? The Sun Times, our own newspaper, said in an editorial that, well, yeah, she didn't handle it right, but her overall record justifies re-election. Why? To you, is this a deciding factor and why should it be to the voters? Well, first of all, I was surprised to learn after the endorsement that the Sun-Times owners contributed $750,000 to Miss Fox's race. That, to me, was something that should have been uh, told to us while we all sat there during the endorsement session. I think it's a very important fact. And it was one that was, frankly, not very transparent um, until- You keep using that <laughs> word. I told you, I warned you. Until, af- <laughs> until afterwards. But the Jussie case is the tip of the iceberg. You know, we want to talk about ethical violations, not being transparent, um, costing taxpayers money. Ms. Fox had a head of her civil division- who was kicking back cases to his old law firm 
at double the county rate, costing us taxpayers hundreds of thousands of dollars. And instead of, same thing with a, a small case, instead of referring that case because the office itself couldn't investigate it, instead of referring that case to the attorney general's office for investigation and possible charging, she didn't do that. She let the head of the civil division quietly resign and patted him on the back on the way out. Would you and I get that treatment if we had allegedly stolen hundreds of thousands of dollars? I think not. I think we probably would have been at the other end of an indictment. So I can go. There are, you know, anecdotes of other cases that she has mishandled. And then let's look at how we charge cases and how we advocate for pretrial detention of violent offenders. I think... What Jussie did was shine a light because a lot of people don't know what the state's attorney's office does. But what Ms. Fox has done to make safety on our streets a real issue, ask the CTA riders every single day, the the guy on the blue line, the people on the red line, ask our shop owners who retail thefts are turning into armed robberies, ask the families of our murder victims that aren't getting murder charges when we even have a murder on video. How safe do you feel? The people I talk to don't feel very safe. And that's why she doesn't deserve a second term. Well, so what has she done to make Chicago unsafe and Cook County unsafe? We're seeing a a surge of crimes on the CTA. Is that because she has lowered the threshold for pursuing uh, retail theft or shoplifting or whatever from $1,000 to $100 or $300? What 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 has happened? What has she done that's made it so unsafe? To me, there is a sense of lawlessness. You know, we've had reports you got a 50-50 chance of getting away with murder. The criminal justice system is about holding people accountable. Now, that doesn't mean you put everybody in prison and throw away the key. It means you have to hold people accountable and people have to know that there is some sort of penalty for committing a crime, no matter what that crime is. But what is happening in the system is we all know the retail theft problem and retail theft, as I just mentioned, is turned into armed robberies. Uh, And these aren't one offs. When it does turn into armed robbery, she charges it as a felony. She may. Well, we have a lot of undercharging going on. So that's part of the problem. Sometimes our gun, a lot of our gun cases that should be charged as felonies are being reduced to misdemeanors. People are walking out. You know, the 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 catchphrase catch and release is now part and parcel of her administration. I've never heard that phrase with any other state's attorney who's who's been in office. The, what the, do you mean by that? The, what, uh, what, catch, whose term is that? Catch and release is just talk to people. Everything is catch and release. Carjackers are out in six hours. Uh, rape, rape, alleged rapists are back out on the streets. She is not advocating for pretrial detention of our most violent offenders, domestic violence cases. The abuser is getting out three and four times before they're being held for pretrial detention. These are, Tom Dart reported that we have half of our murder suspects out on electronic monitoring and the system wasn't built for violent offenders to be out and he doesn't know where half of them are. So when we talk about our are our streets safe, particularly in the black and brown communities. They're not safe. And part of it is, it's not the only thing, but part of it is because of the charging and pretrial detention policies of our state's attorney. 
in the Chinatown double murder over the weekend, we had uh, uh, the person charged was on parole twice for robbery, right? Correct. And so what does that say? Is that another piece of evidence here? (sighs) Yes. You know, the... The criminal justice system, if, if you take sort of the office of the state's attorney itself, you know, the, the we talk about reform and look, every, who doesn't want reform? Who doesn't want to help people live good, active, law abiding lives? But look at where we sit. How do you get into the criminal justice system? You have to go back before the crime was committed. We have 40 years of failed social policies in economically disadvantaged communities, Ed, lack of education, uh, ability to have uh, employment, economic assistance, uh, even infrastructure. So we have to do All of us have to do a better job at making sure we have programs to, first of all, keep people out of our justice system. And then on the other end, in our prison system, you know, 80 percent of the people are going to get out of prison and 50 percent of them are going to be back in the criminal justice system. So we need to ask our state legislators, let's do some better innovative programs in our prison system. So now I'm back to the state's attorney's office. You have to have the experience and the judgment to be able to to look at cases, to look at the background of the people you're dealing with, to talk to your victims and say, okay, here is how we're going to handle this particular case. And uh, you need to do it fairly and equitably, and you need to find solutions when you have a case that calls out for it, when you have a defendant that merits it. So you can put people back to work and not back into the criminal justice system. Are you saying she's she's gone too far to the other extreme? Yes. And why is it? I mean, she she fashions herself as a as one of these new breed of activist reformer states attorneys around the nation who who has led the way as far as exonerations like she did this week mm-hmm. with the Ronald Watts crew, the crew mm-hmm. of uh, the corrupt police officer. We are now up to something like 90 overturned convictions. There's nothing wrong mm-hmm. with that. There's nothing wrong with that. And in fact, look, the goal here is not to have a bad conviction to begin with. You know, part of that is making sure that your prosecutors uh have joint training with the police that your prosecutors know if they don't have the evidence or they don't think something is right, that they have the ability to drop the case and not get in trouble for it. You know, at one point prior to Kim, we had that extreme problem. But prosecutors also have to know that they need to try and convict especially violent offenders, where they have the evidence. And and yes, so go our our po- our conv- Conviction Integrity Unit, absolutely we're going to keep that. But we're also going to do our job and make sure that we're advocating that violent offenders are off our streets. And during a speech to the City Club last year, Fraternal Order of Police President Kevin Graham issued a a very withering attack against Kim Fox that had nothing to do with Jesse Smollett. He said, what we've asked for from Kim Fox and her office is to prosecute people, not to be the defense attorney. He said, I hope she realizes that what her job is and that she needs to do it. If she can, she needs to step down. He said that uh, he accused her of seeing a revolving door at Cook County Jail. It's become mm-hmm. like a hockey 
penalty box. Do you agree with that? I mean, she she's been at odds with the Fraternal Order of Police and has accused them of bias and so on. What do you think? Kim Fox made a statement, I think it was over the weekend in the Chicago Defender, that she had more in common with defendants going through the system than with the prosecutors in her own office, as if to say there aren't prosecutors in her office who were raised by single moms in poor families and so forth. And I think it demoralized um, the prosecutors who actually work for her. The two most important parts of the criminal justice system are prosecutors and, pol- and police law enforcement. You have to work together. There has to be a partnership. That doesn't mean that anybody's above the law. If somebody commits a crime, you have to prosecute or you have to plead out a case at, at an appropriate penalty. But there needs to be a working relationship. And the rank and file of every law enforcement agency in this county has said that they don't trust Kim Fox to do the right thing. That has to change. We need a leader in that office, one who leads everybody, who can gather law enforcement in this county and say, look, we're going to do some joint training because here's what we expect of you. You can tell us what you expect of us as prosecutors, but we need to work together. We want to do the right thing. We want to make sure we have the right person charged with the crime. And we want to make sure that when we get a conviction, we don't have it overturned on appeal. So I I understand there's a lot of frustration um, with law enforcement, and that's something that has to change. Frank Main, our Pulitzer Prize winning reporter, did a story last week about how improvements in the homicide clearance rate are not really what they appeared to be. 25% of the time, the cases that were presented from, by the police to the state's attorney's office, they were told they didn't have the evidence and they dropped the case and they cleared it because there wasn't enough evidence. Why is that? That's an inordinately high rate, 25% of the time. Is it the pressure that the police are under to boost the clearance rate to make themselves look good? Or is the state's attorney not working with the police? What's happening? Well, the the, the clearance rate is when the police think that they've identified the person who committed the murder. Or... Um, or they've been told there's not enough evidence we're dropping. Well, well, the, the police will clear a case when they've identified the person who committed the murder. Then it goes to the, the state's attorney's office. And the question is, um, you know, do they get charges or do they not get charges? Um, there are times when y- you don't have the evidence and when you're in felony. But 25%. But 25% is part of, is a problem. And what's happening is twofold. One is felony review is one of the most important parts of the office, right? It's the charging arm of the office. And you need to make sure you have very experienced prosecutors in, in that unit. Uh, It's a tough unit to be in because it, it plays havoc with time. You know, you're on for 12 hours, you're off, but, um, but you need to have experienced prosecutors and you have to have prosecutors that know that they can charge, not a, an office uh, policy of, well, if you can find self-defense, somehow find it. You know, there was a, 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 a situation up in Evanston, Chicago border, where a guy stood over somebody else and point blank put some bullets in his head. And, you know, the state's attorney's office said, well, that was self-defense. We're, we're not charging the murder. So there's those kinds of cases where I really question the decisions that were reached by the state's attorney's office. So do you think that this 
25% figure is an indication that the police and the state attorneys are not, are not working together? Well, I think that we have an indication that they're not working together based on the statements from both our our state's attorney and some of the things she has um, referred to the police as and by, you know, statements from law enforcement throughout the county. As I said, that has to change. We need better understanding of each other's jobs. We need a better understanding of how we can help each other. We need joint better joint training. And, you know, the police, just like just like somebody who's, you know, stealing from a store, people have to know that they will be held accountable if they commit a crime. That doesn't necessarily dictate what happens on the on the sentencing part, but you have to know you're going to be held accountable, whether you're an individual just walking down the street or whether you're wearing blue. But but that said, you know, our first responders, our men and women who wear the uniform, they want to do the right thing, most of them. But look, if there's a bad apple, there's a bad apple. They're bad lawyers. They're bad doctors. There's issues with clergy. We have a huge issue going on right now at Lincoln Park High School. And the fact is, is you have to hold people accountable. It's the cornerstone of our criminal justice system. We have Bill Conway, who has $8 million from his very, very billionaire father. And we have Kim Fox, who's has the Democratic establishment rallying behind her. How are you uh-huh. going to break through? Well, I, I, I'm going to break through because I think the voters are sick and tired of both. They are tired of every day reading about our politicals and our electeds who are getting indicted, sometimes because they're bribing each other even. And I think people are sick of it. You know, Mr. Conway stands up. I've heard him at our forums and he says he's going to root out public corruption and pay to play. Well, he better look at his family's company because his family company came into Illinois. They paid off the likes of Tony Resco and Bill Cellini and Stuart Levine so his family company could get them pension fund money from here to invest. Uh, They were kicked out of Illinois. We ultimately passed a law to prevent that behavior. So his family company is the kingpin of pay to play. I don't think, you know, when you're beholden, whether it's to a political machine or an ATM, you know, what's so important that his dad is willing to spend eight plus million dollars on buying his son the race unless, you know, he doesn't have the qualifications for this job. Um, you know, none of my opponents were in a felony trial division trying bench trials and jury trials. None of them were in the U.S. attorney's office. So you have to ask the question, why? Why, why is it? But based on his family history of pay to play, I, I, I think the voters aren't going to be happy with that either. I think finally we are waking up that we can actually have an independent, experienced lawyer do the job of state's attorney. Before we go, you're a former U- assistant U.S. attorney, former assistant state's attorney, now a managing partner at Fox Rothschild. You served as the first legal counsel to the Illinois Gaming Board. You've represented clients in every aspect of the gaming industry. Is Chicago going to get the casino gambling <laughs> fix that it needs to get a casino finally? Well, the mayor, uh, I hear, is down, you know, will going. be down in Springfield. Yeah. And uh, there are some fixes that need to happen to the statute. Uh, Uh, Is it going to happen? She didn't get it last fall. Well, we need money. So that tends to make things happen. And, um, you know, as I say, I am uh, 
very heavily into making sure that whatever the law is, that my clients comply with it. And so I look forward to seeing what the legislature passes, although I won't be around because I'll be doing the job of Cook County State's Attorney. <laughs> okay, we'll roll the dice on that one. Thank you, Donna Moore, and we'll see you all next week. Thanks so much. <laughs>